think I can do the scripture reading for Bob. <laughs> the uh, scripture reading this morning is John chapter 1, verse 14, if you turn with me there. Um, John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says, this is the New King James Version. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Last week we were up at Camp Segola. There was about 16 of us, I think about 16 of us from the Cadillac metro area. <laughs> and it was fun. Um, I had requested from the radio station board for funds to... Um, go there and I you know I didn't want to do that but financially we just couldn't do it and so you know I just prayed about it and said okay if the board says yes then we'll go for it well we were driving up and Daniel said oh mom Miss Jelaine gave me this envelope at school today right and like okay and it was a strong tower radio envelope, okay. So I opened it up, and inside there was a note that said, basically, someone asked me to give this to you. And I had requested $350 from the board. And so Bethany started counting, and there was 100, and there was a couple of 50s, and a couple more 50s, and a couple more 50s. Or, you know, anyways... We counted up, there was $350 in the envelope. The Lord provided. We went forward in faith. We didn't want to be a burden on the radio station. We couldn't do it ourselves, but God provided. And, you know, we've seen that time and time again. With Jonathan going to Cedar Lake, there's no way we could do that. We do not have, the, and I'm not complaining about the wages. I'm just saying, you know, literally, the Lord has put us here, and we're, we're happy we're satisfied, but there was no way we could send Jonathan to Cedar Lake. You know, you know, you know I wouldn't say a million years, maybe in a million years, but but he got us provided, and the what we have to pay is so insignificant that it's like, yes, it's a no-brainer. And Jonathan is growing. It's interesting to listen to him. You know, on the conversations we have with him, I hear the maturity, I hear faith, I hear strength, I hear character. Um, just really proud of him, and he's doing well. And you know, waiting for the first report card to come out, and <laughs> that's when it all hits the road. But you know, we're trying to limit the distractions because I know when I went there, I went with boxes of stuff, and that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> I didn't go to Cedar Lake, but I went to Broadview, and so I learned from my lessons. But we're very proud of him, and he's uh, doing well there. And so you just see when you step out in faith, Bethany and I, we had many conversations starting off last spring, like there's no way we can do it, but let's just move forward and see if God has a plan. And he had a, God definitely had a plan for Jonathan. He had a plan for us to be up there. Whenever we were up at Camp Segola, they asked, uh, well, we asked if we could have a few minutes to speak about Strong Tower Radio. And Bethany was telling me this story and this other, several stories. We just shared them last night at the, um, the corn roast. But it's 
people that are hearing the radio station that they told Bethany and they told Sandy and Joy, different ones. And so we had those pastors get up and have the pastors give the testimonies that they're telling us. We don't usually get feedback from the pastors, and it's discouraging at times because, you, you know, oh, so-and-so has had how many baptisms and they haven't told us? And so we're not discouraging and we're not giving them trouble for it, but we're giving them the opportunity to share what God is doing in their churches, and it's exciting because whether it's somebody driving a forger that is so motivated, drives from sun up to sundown and just keeps moving, 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 and all of a sudden he stops and backs up his forger because he lost the radio station, and he's like, I wanted to hear that part. And he sits there, and what are you doing? I'm listening to the radio. Just leave me alone. And he's the boss. He's like, okay. Um, or people that are getting the station in parts of Michigan that shouldn't be, they shouldn't be getting the station. Um, we hear stories like that. God is working, he is blessing, and people are coming into a knowledge of his goodness. And we just give God the glory because this is not things we can do. You know, the work of a lifetime is just submitting our will to the Holy Spirit's leading. And that's our salvation because it's nothing that we can do. There's no work that we can do. He's talked about this in the lesson this morning. It's only what Christ has done for us. And that's the focus of what I want to talk about this morning. So let's have prayer. Our most gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus and for his life. Father, as we open your word this morning, as we look at these scriptures, help us to see, Father, the greatness and the goodness and the majesty of Jesus. No one could do what he has done. We thank you, Father, for such a loving Savior. In his name we ask, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18. Um, if you don't have one, there's one close by, I'm sure. John chapter 18. There are 82 verses here that we're going to skip through that changed our world literally. 82 verses. John chapter 18, verse 1. There are 12 points I really want to bring out to you. I think there's 12. Maybe I missed one or two, but there's some points here I really want to bring out to you. John chapter 18, verse 1. Jesus, when he had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the brook Kidron, okay, where there was a garden. Think of this. Jesus had been preaching for three and a half years. And time and time and time again, he had contended with the, the religious leaders to the point they wanted to throw him off of the cliff, they wanted to kill him, they wanted to do whatever they could. These guys taught the commandments of Moses, but they wanted to murder Jesus. And Jesus, time and time and time again, he had slipped out of their reach. But here he is going to where he knows, because verse 2, and Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place for Jesus often met there with his disciples. Whenever Jesus met up with a woman of... Um, the Syrophoenician woman, he put himself in her path so she could meet up with him. When Jesus met up with the woman at the well, he, met a, he crossed her path so she could meet. When he went to the widow of Nain to raise her son from it, he crossed her path. Jesus is crossing the path of Judas right here. He puts himself where Judas would find him so he could betray him. If Jesus wanted, Jesus knew everything that was going on. He could have easily escaped he could have, I'm out of here. But instead of saying, I'm out of here, he came and sat right there where Judas was going to be. 
with all these other guys. Verse 3. And notice in between verse 1 and verse 2 and 3, you have the whole accounts where Jesus is going and praying to the Father and telling disciples, please pray for me. And they're falling asleep and he's waking them up. That whole thing is going on in this part here too. But John doesn't focus on that. John is focusing on the fact that Jesus put himself in the place where Judas would find him. So verse 3, Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, came. And notice what they came with. Lanterns, torches, and weapons. Okay, I can understand the lanterns and the torches. But why would they need weapons with Jesus? What had he ever done to encourage them to bring a weapon? But that's what they did. So here, that's, that's the first point. Jesus put himself in the place where Judas would find him. Number two, where Jesus, would find, where Jesus put himself in this place. Verse four. There, Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, what do you say? Whom are you seeking? Okay, so they're coming to him. He steps out away from the disciples and says, who are you looking for? Who are you seeking? And they answered him and said to him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, John's pointing out, Judas, who betrayed him, stood not with Jesus, but stood with them. And the next verse, now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus could have easily, let's get out of here, guys. But he stayed there. He didn't leave. Do you see what kind of a character Jesus had? He crossed the brook, got, went to the garden so he could be where Judas was going to betray him. When the mob comes at him with weapons, torches, and lanterns, he stops him and says, who are you looking for? Remember Jesus when he was on the um, shore after the night when he walked on the water and Peter walked on the water and they went to the shore and the demoniacs come to him and Jesus puts up his hand and says, stop. And they had to stop. He had all of that authority still right here. And so when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again saying, whom are you seeking? So he's still standing there. He didn't leave. He's still standing there. Remember whenever Jesus was baptized, was about to be baptized, and John the Baptist said to him, he said, um, no, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, suffer these things to be so for now. Let these things happen because this is the way it needs to be. So then Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way. So he's standing up for the disciples. He's saying, let them go. You want me? Take me. And then Peter, as always, we talked about this in John chapter 21 in Sabbath school this morning. Peter's always got something to say. So then Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest. So Peter's armed. Sometimes we think carrying weapons is a good thing. And, you know, okay, whatever. Peter pulls out a weapon, strikes him. If you read the other passages up to this point, Jesus was standing there with his hands behind his back held by a centurion. And it wasn't a little guy, probably. They had his hands close, tightly held behind his back. And what does Jesus do? In verse 11, Jesus again takes the lead in this. 
put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Now, it doesn't say this here, but in other passages in um, Matthew chapter 26, Jesus, it talks about what Jesus did. He reaches and heals Malchus's ear. Now, do you understand what just happened there? When Jesus healed Malchus's ear, or whenever Peter cut off Malchus's ear, Peter, he was a servant of the high priest. So now this servant is less valuable because he's missing an ear. And you've got an issue with this guy that chopped off your servant's ear. But Jesus, he replaced the ear. He put the ear back on. No problem. Peter's completely eliminated of any crime. He didn't do anything. Ears back on. Jesus made things right so Peter could leave and not be held under arrest. Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? So then the detachment of troops and the captain and the officers arrested Jesus and bound him. And I say again, they bound him again. Samuel, your Bible's back here if you're looking for it. <laughs> so then Caiaphas, who advised the Jews that it was expedient for, the, for that one should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now the disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard. What was, what was the difference between John and Peter? What were they carrying or what were they not carrying? Peter had a weapon. Think of that. Peter had a weapon. John apparently didn't have one. Peter stood at the door outside, and the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her and kept the door, and Peter came in. Okay, all that. So Peter is there inside the courtyard, and he has a weapon, or at least he had a weapon, and you would think, okay, now that Peter's inside, he could do something about stuff. In verse 20, here again, Jesus, the high priest in verse 19 said, the high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. And Jesus looks him straight in the eye and said, I spoke openly in the, to the world. I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. Indeed, you they know what I said. So Jesus is putting the, the onus back on them saying, you guys know what I've said. You guys, you've had all these spies following him around. They know what I've said. Why are you doing this to me? He's taken the lead in all this. He doesn't back down. He's straight as an arrow to the target. And when he said these things, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand saying, do you answer the high priest like that? And then this is one of my favorite verses. Going through some of the things I've gone through, I was always told, turn the other cheek, turn the other cheek. Well, look at what Jesus did. It's not what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do? Jesus answered him, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why do you strike me? Now, can you imagine somebody that just got smacked in the face by a centurion and he stands right up and looks him in the eye and said, if I've done something wrong, tell me what I did. Otherwise, why'd you do that? He put that guy in his place. That's who Jesus was. He was a very stable, strong person. 
And so it goes through and it talks about Annas and Caiaphas and Simon Peter and how he, <clears throat> three times, he denies Jesus. And what was apparently, don't know for certain, but Peter was the one carrying a weapon. Whenever push came to shove, Peter did not have it in him to stand, even when it was a young lady or somebody at the gate. Somebody that would not be some, someone that would intimidate him, yet in Peter's heart, he was not fully converted yet. So notice in verse 31, Pilate having this discussion with the, the religious leaders. In verse 29, it says, what accusation do you bring against this man? And then verse 31, um, Pilate says, you take him and judge him according to your law. And then verse 33, then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, I don't know if he was being cynical or being what, but notice what Jesus says to him right next to that. In 34, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this about me? This is why it makes an interesting point here in the book Desire of Ages. Whenever Jesus is talking to Pilate, he is reaching into Pilate's soul, trying to bring something out, some truth out of Pilate, because Pilate's being convicted that this isn't some ordinary guy. Pilate was the type of guy that, get him out of here. But Pilate, in this discourse with the religious leaders, he's saying there's something different about this guy. And so for the first time, he's saying, are you the king of the Jews? And then Jesus answered, are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell this concerning me? And Pilate, he's like, what? And he answers, am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests. Of all people in your nation, your religious leaders have brought you here. What would you do? And then Jesus, going on that king-type thinking, Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. And so Pilate, he's really engaged. He's saying, So are you a king? And Jesus says, you say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Notice how from the beginning, going back to the beginning, Jesus is acting like a king. All the way through, he goes to where Judas can find him. Whenever they arrest him, he's taken responsibility time and time again. All the way through here, he is acting like a king. Jesus is really the full deal here. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And when he had said this, he went out to them. Again, Satan distracted him and he went out. I f he says to the crowd and to the religious leaders, I find no fault in him at all. He, didn't, he doesn't just say, I find no fault in him. I find no fault in him at all. But you have a custom that I should release someone. Now, do you see what Pilate's doing? He just said, this guy is completely innocent. Instead of saying, okay, since he is completely innocent, I'm letting him go. You have a custom. So he's trying to negotiate. And the religious leaders say, oh, he's negotiating. That means we got traction here. You have a custom. Do you want me to release um, 
to you for the Passover. Who do you want me to release to you? The king of the Jews? And they cried again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. That's how verse, chapter 18 ends. Barabbas was a robber. Had Jesus ever stolen anything? Nothing except the people that Satan had stolen. Jesus had saved them and he rescued them. So chapter 19, verse 1. So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Why would he do that? He's trying to get their sympathy. He's trying to, he's trying to work an angle. Instead of saying, it's, he's looking for an excuse. Okay, if I got an excuse, I can get out of this. Instead of just taking the issue and saying, look, he's done nothing wrong at all. Let him go. But he's not doing that. So what did they do? They make a crown. He's a king, right? So they make a crown of thorns. And they put a purple robe on him because he's a king. And then Pilate went out and said, Behold, I am bringing him to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. He's again, there's no fault in him. But he's whipped him. They humiliated him. But there's no fault in him. But Jesus knew these things were going to happen. He told the disciples this was going to happen. Therefore, when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him and crucify him. And Pilate says, why? You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself who? The son of God. Notice that next verse. When Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid. He's really looking for an excuse now. And he went to, goes to the praetorium and he asked Jesus, where are you from? Jesus doesn't answer. Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I, have no, that I have power to crucify you and have power to release you? And Jesus, again, he steps up and says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. Jesus, again, is acting like a king. He is a king. He is the king of the Jews, and he is fulfilling that duty that he has as king. He's standing firm, even though all this is going on around him. Now, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out. Oh, skip to verse. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. What is that to the Jews? They had no kindness in their thoughts at all about the Romans. The Romans were the occupiers. And now the Jews have gone so far, they flipped over and they're saying, if you do this, you're not Caesar's friend. Pilate could have said, uh, what do you care about that? And then they take it one step further. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. What were the Jews looking for? their deliverer, the Messiah, their king. And now they wanted to crucify their king. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat and in a place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. <laughs> now it was the preparation day of the Passover in the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they, said, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. 
They completely divorced Jesus at this point. And some people say, well, it was just a group of religious leaders there in Jerusalem, but they spoke for the, they had the authority, and it's significant if you're in the main leadership of a group of people, this religious group, the Jews, and if the main religious leader, the high priest, is saying, crucify him, that's significant. They separated themselves from him. Verse 16, then he delivered him to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus and led him away. Notice the sign that they put about Jesus in verse 19. Pilate wrote a sign, wrote a title, and put it on the cross, and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Now, if you look at the four Gospels, there's variations, but it's like it's written that says, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. There's different variations. It says Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, whatever, but they all have that common theme. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Pilate wrote that. He wanted to make sure this is who he is. This is not who he said he is. And they even give Pilate grief. They said, do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. And Pilate says, what I've written, I have written, Jesus is the king of the Jews. He recognized that in Christ. Now, going on through the, um, the prophecies that were fulfilled, this tunic, you know, just take a side note here. Whenever somebody makes a garment, do you usually start from the top and down or side? You know, Bethany's worked on different projects and different times. Can you imagine a tunic made as it's described here? Now, the tunic was without seam woven from the top in one piece. How many of you have a garment that's made of one piece? It's not very common. I bet you Jesus wove that himself. Who else would have known how to do that? The creator of the universe. That was the only thing he owned in his sandals. The tunic that he wore. They didn't want to tear it because it was of one piece. No seams. They said, don't tear it. Let's cast lots. And fulfilled Psalms 22, verse 18. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. You know, we look at these story and we think, oh, you know, Jesus and all the suffering. Yes, definitely. The suffering, the pain, and all this. But look at the characteristics of Jesus as the king of the Jews. He kept his focus to the cross. He didn't let all these distractions. Peter got distracted. All the disciples ran. John, he followed, but even John wasn't able to help out here. But Jesus kept his focus. Verse 26, he's talking to John and his mother. Woman, behold your son. And then he says to the disciple, behold your mother. And then verse 28, Jesus, one of the last things he says, I thirst, and they give him sour wine. And then verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. As the king, it's done. Satan lost at that point. Satan thought he was going to win this victory when Jesus died. And then whenever he says it is finished, even though it must have sent shockwaves through the universe. But at that same point, Satan's kingdom was doomed because Jesus maintained his focus from the beginning of his ministry, whenever he's baptized as John, suffer these things to be so for now, 
all the way to the cross. He suffered these things to be so, so that God's glory would be fulfilled. He was the king of the Jews. He kept his focus. I don't know how to make it any more poignant, but when we look at Christ, we cannot just look at him as gentle Jesus, tender Savior. We have to look at him as who the authority of the, his nature, his character. He revealed his father's character, but in his character, he had the ability to do all these things from the turning of the stones into bread or whatever. He could have done any of that, but he knew this was his focus. We tend to think of you know presidents like George Washington or even Abraham Lincoln and the great things they did. And they did great things. And you read, and it's uplifting to read their stories or even the Christian heroes. But when you look at Jesus in these 82 verses, John chapter 18 and verse 9, Chapter 18 and 19. From the time he walked into the garden until the time they hung him on the cross, everything he did was focused on glorifying his father so that God's character would be revealed through him. Jesus is a very powerful person. So powerful, he changed the world. And I'm not saying just as a person, the divine son of God became flesh. That's why our text this morning, John chapter 1 and verse 14, turn back to that. Remember, whenever John wrote this book, it wasn't something that he was just writing in his diary every day. He wrote this from the beginning, knowing the end of this chapter of the book. And the word, Jesus is the word, verse 1 in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the, of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And if there's any question, that begotten is basically the only begotten son of God through a woman. Jesus is the only son of God begotten, the only son of God that was born of natural Jesus is the divine son of God. Without beginning, without end, he is the son of God. Right here, it gives a summary of his entire life. So Jesus, when he said it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He was saying to his father, here's my spirit. If it is so, if it is your will that I never exist again, I'm good with that. Just make sure these can be in, as a recipient of my, of my sacrifice. So for three days, he laid in the tomb. And then you go over to chapter 20, and it's just an interesting study going from there. We're not going to go into that. But Jesus revealed himself, and of all people, he revealed himself first to Mary because she hung around the tomb, and she was there. The others went back home. She was there. And he says, go tell my brothers and Peter. So we have a very loving heavenly father who gave us a perfect reflection of his character and his son who died on the cross because he knew this is the only way to defeat sin and to win us back. It's not through our sympathy for his suffering. As we see Christ, what he has done for us, what he going through all this torture, all this mental agony, and like I told you the story last time about the um, screaming people of the Republican Convention, Satan and his angels were not on vacation that day at the cross. They were massively 
trying to subdue Jesus. You ever see somebody lifting something very heavy? Is their face all like ready for a picture? Or when mama's given birth to a baby, is she all, you know, Ugh. can you imagine Jesus' face all the weight of sin upon him? You couldn't even recognize him as a person. But yet he bore up under all that pressure and said, it is finished. Into thy hands I give my spirit. That's the Savior that we worship. That's the one who's given us all these blessings. That's who we're going to reveal through Jesus on prophecy. So speaking of Jesus on prophecy, um, we're going to do our best. We're going to go through the meetings. And everybody, if, if you can contribute, um, be more than glad to have you to be a part of it. Um, I'm not going to give a different spin, but this is the focus I want to have through the whole message, that Jesus is the king of the Jews as of all in the world, that he came to redeem us, that he revealed his father's character. I'm not going to try and go off on tangents. I'm just trying to keep it focused on Christ because so many times we use Jesus to describe the prophecies. I wanted the prophecies to point to Christ because he can take away everything that is the enemy is in us and he can give us that peace. And willingly submitting our lives to him, he will give us that peace. Our closing song is number 159, The Old Rugged Cross, number 159.